Hello. Sam, are you there? Hello. Are you there, Sam? Yes, sir. All right. Now, let's see if we can't get John on here. And right. we get everybody together. All right. Let's see some. All right, Lucy, can you hear us now? Yes, sir. Now good. Now good. So we can't get all the call. Everybody, everybody here now? I'm here. I'm here. Okay. All right. Yes, cool. Hey, Lucy. Right. How, hey, first of all, Lucy, congratulations on the whole cancer thing, man. That's the. That's definitely a big battle. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for that message. I, it really was very encouraging, and it really helped me get through it. So thank you so much for taking the time to do that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Okay, now um, let me, John, it's going to be kind of, uh, we're going to ask some questions. I'm going to start out with the little intro. Oh, well, first, yeah. Well, okay, well, right now we're just going to get into it, but, I have to state that this is a pre-recorded call in the California law. Okay. Yeah. No worries. Hey, let me uh, let me just jump far so it's a little uh, quieter. Um, so we okay. Can talk. So, outside. So hold on a second. And all right. Can you guys hear me now? Oh, a yes. lot better. Okay. <clears throat> all right. Well, here I go with my spiel. <clears throat> welcome and good and welcome. Lucy, did you just do something? No, I haven't done anything. Okay, welcome and good evening, everyone. I'm your host, James Whitfield, here at Howard Stern Social Media Network Radio, blogtalkradio.com. And I'm joined today with my co-host, Sam, a.k.a. Lucy Bones. And we have Mr. John Nicholson on the line. But before we begin, we apologize in advance that due to some unforeseen last-minute scheduling issues, this interview, uh, I got to redo this. So before we begin, we apologize in advance. Due to some unforeseen last-minute scheduling issues, this interview has been pre-recorded for which we apologize. And, John, are you okay with being recorded? 100%. All right, thank you. All right, Sam, that's on you now. Today here at Our Turn Social Media Network Radio, OTSMN Radio, we will be speaking with Mr. John Nicholson, the star of the Investigation Discovery Channel's Murder Chose Me, where he portrayed retired detective Rod Demery. This interview was pre-recorded. Okay, John. Yes, sir. Tell us about about what it was like to finally get that call for the lead role in Murder Station. 
Man, well, let me tell you, Bill. Uh, so, you know, the, the road for acting is bumpy, to say the least. You know, you audition for a lot of stuff. You, you, you put yourself out there for a lot of stuff, and mostly you hear no's, or even worse, you don't hear anything. And so there are times where, you know, like I'm sure every actor has faced it, where it just gets really frustrating, and you think, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I think I want to go, and I'm, I'm done with acting. And, like, literally, that was exactly what happened. Um, the day that I got the phone call from my manager at the time to tell me um, that I had booked the show, I was I had been trying to set up uh, an interview um, to get like a regular corporate job again, and so I was trying to set up this Zoom call that day so I could uh, talk with the recruiter. Um, and as I'm trying to do the Zoom call, my manager keeps calling, and I keep sending her the voicemail because I'm thinking she's calling me about some nonsense, right? And so. I'm trying to hook up with the Zoom guy on Zoom to do this uh, call with this recruiter, and for whatever reason, he and I never were able to connect. I I couldn't get the meeting code to work, and I tried calling his cell phone, and he didn't answer. And I'm thinking, man, I don't want this dude to think that I'm flaking on him because I really want this job. And in the meantime, my manager still keeps steady calling, and I keep sending her the voicemail. So finally, um, I give up trying to connect with this connect with the recruiter and I'm just sitting I remember sitting at my desk thinking man you know life this is just so bad I don't even want to do this anymore and now I can't even I, I can't even get another job and at that moment my manager called again and I and I knew you know she had been telling me John you got to get new headshots or something and I just wasn't even trying to hear it so I was reluctant to take her call but I did and so she she, she I get her on the line and she's like hey I say hey what's going on she says are you sitting down? Because I got some bad news for you. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is just day. This can't get, this can't get any worse. And then of course, she goes on to tell me, you know, that that show, uh, you booked it, and like literally, like it just oh, wow. changed, changed everything, right? Because I was, I went when I say I was at the precipice of like I'm done, like I had, but you know, that taught me such a valuable life lesson, right? Because I realized that. That's it. When you are at your very end, right, and whether you're, like, working out and you're running or you work and you're, like, you feel like you can't do another rep or you can't do another step, it's that other right. step, right, where the, where the what you really want is on the other side of don't giving up. Yeah. Right. Right. I appreciate that, man. You know, it's like uh, I – I don't know how I would have handled it, you know, but it seemed like you, you did very well and you bounced back and the show was a success, you know? So, John, yeah. we're going to turn the, the, the rest of the questioning over to, bam, Lucy Bones and let her. Okay. Well, thanks, James. <laughs> thanks, James. Well, you know, I'm going to go a little bit out of order with our script a little bit here, and I, sure. I want to back up and talk about all my children and General Hospital and how those anticipation and, and, and your getting those roles was a little bit different for you, or even if it was a little bit different for you than getting the murder chose me. Yeah, well, it was, listen, you know, and going back, I remember the day that I booked um, the General Hospital role, right? Like I had auditioned for General Hospital like months before, like way, six, seven months before and never heard anything. And then I just get a phone wow. call saying, um, 
you've been booked on the show for like three or four days. And I remember looking at the phone like, you got to be kidding me. You can't be can't be talking to me. I haven't auditioned. But, and so, you know, it was so exciting. And I was like so to be um, and, you know, just just be there with all the other stars from the regulars, you know, the regular people on the show. And it made, but, it, but, and it made me realize like, yeah, you know, I, I could do this. Cause I think part of it is, is like, if you've ever, if either one of you have ever played sports, like I played basketball growing yep. up. Right. And so you might think you're good, but you never really know if you're good until you step on the court with really good players. And then all of a sudden, you know, you know, pretty yep. quickly if you're on the same competition level as them or, or not. And so being on the sets of General Hospital and All My Children, even though, you know, I was a guest star, I had a co-star role, um, right. and I wasn't a series regular, but it gave me it gave me the confidence to know, okay, cool, you know what, I'm I'm only here for a couple of days, but I belong on I belong here just like everybody else does, and um, and and you know, and sometimes it's just that confidence. They're like, okay, I can, you know, there's good players here, but I could ball too, you know? And so, um, so I think that, and that's, and that's all part of the process of like, everybody moves to LA and thinks, you know, they want to become this acting star overnight. And the reality of it is it's like seven to 10 or 12 years to become an overnight success. And in those years, what happens in those years are you have, you know, you have your will challenged and tested because uh, you know, you're going to hear no a lot, and do you really, are you going to stick it out, or are you going to pack up and go back to your house? You're going to have opportunities right. to work um, and be around good actors, and you'll have a chance to test your test your talent up against actors that are good. And, like, you know, if you're perform at that level, then it gives you the confidence to say, yeah, I know I belong here. So the next audition you go to, um, it takes a lot of the anxiety out because you're like, listen, I'm just, I'm as good as anybody else. You know, I just need the right opportunity. Right. Sounds like it's a huge confidence builder. The 100%. Um, because it really is, because if you think about it, right, there's very other, there's very few other careers where, you know, the, the premise is you're going to hear no 90 or 95% of the time, right? Like anything else yeah. in life, yeah. if you hear if you're trying to be a nurse and you hear no 95% of the time, maybe, you know, you might start to think nursing might not be for you, right? Because 95% of the people who don't, who start out to be nurses probably end up, you know, being nurses, not the other way around where only 5% of them do or die or whatever. But you hear no so much that it, it, you, you, you have to learn to adapt to it pretty quick because otherwise your ego just, you know, your ego suffers terribly because, you're gonna hear no most of the time. Yeah, John, yeah. I know that. You know, um, that's what uh, I I came home with a with a law degree and couldn't get a job as a lawyer in the law field. So um, after years of trying, I just got tired and learned filmmaking. You know, right, right. My nonprofit, you know, and things just kind of went from there. But I know how that goes. You know, to keep hearing no and it's just. Uh, so you have to change up or, or, you know, or stick it out, you know. But let's get back on. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Yeah, I, it, I was going to say that it just really, it tests how much do you really want it, right? Because everybody says right. they want it, 
but not everybody really wants it. Yeah. Well, and I heard it's it's really hard to break through like that elitist mindset of Hollywood. I mean, Hollywood has this like iron gate for a lot of people that I've heard gone out there and attempted to get roles and want to be a famous actor or actress or performer. And really they, they say it's like an iron curtain around that society. You know, I don't know if it's an iron curtain as much as it is, listen, this like, there's a lot of damn talented people out here, right? Like yeah, you'll see, yeah, yeah. You, you know, I've I've been in acting class with students that, you know, you guys have never seen on television or maybe seen briefly, and they're brilliant. They've just never, maybe wow. never had the right opportunities, right? Like because because it's you know you go to an audition and all of a sudden there's 20 guys in there that look very similar to you because everybody fits the oh, same wow. general description of what they're looking for. And so, you know, out of those 20 guys, 15 of them might be brilliantly talented. So when you when you book it out here, right, nine times out of ten, you've paid your dues and you're really good because if not, you wouldn't be in the room and you would have given up a long, you would have given up a long time ago. And I guess that's where the – that's where the perseverance part comes in, right? Because it is hard. Like, if yeah. it wasn't hard, everybody would do it, right? Or anybody could do it. But right, I'm right. sure the same could be said about the NBA or the NFL. Right. Or, you know, it's hard. And, you know, the higher up you go, the more talented people you're competing against. Right. Now, I want to bring up this YouTube video. It was only three and a half minutes about long. Um, it was a Courage film, and every actor is afraid of this by John Nicholson. <laughs> right. You showed, you showed an emotional side to yourself that you know I don't think I've necessarily seen in that way, and you were extremely vulnerable. Um, are you comfortable in that vulnerable space for roles? Do you draw on personal? Or are, do you detach and absorb the character? Like, how does that work yeah. for you? Yeah, so I'm a method actor. And so for me, oh. everything is, I try to draw everything from a personal experience that I've had, if I have one available. You know, I always tell my son is, you know, take the short way there. And if so if it's something that you felt that's similar to what your character is going through, you can use that. And I think the courage part for actors in general is that you have to be uh, you have to be willing to like literally pull your chest open, man, and like let the audience see your heart beating, right? Because that's what they're paying to see. They don't want to see someone fake it. If your character's mom died or you know something tragic happened they don't want to see an actor or an actress pretend like they're heartbroken because like all of us we we sense fake right and we can see right. when someone is not really experiencing something but when viola davis is going through it she's really yeah. going through it right there's no oh, she's yeah. not pretending to be sad viola davis is like i'm showing you and and that's why the audience can relate so much because you can relate to the real emotions that someone um, is doing. And so for me, I, I really try to strive to like, I want to, I want the audience to experience 
what my character feels emotionally, whatever, you know, he's going through happiness, sad, whatever. Um, and, and I think personal experiences just may, it doesn't even have to be the exact same thing because maybe, you know, your character's, um, son died or daughter died, but, you know, for me, it's my mom died. And so, you know, I'm using a similar emotional experience. The audience sees it as this guy is just going through something, but what I'm actually experiencing may not be exactly what happened to the character, but emotionally it's pretty much the same thing. And, um, so I always try to draw on personal experience when available. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you worked really closely with Detective Demery to prepare yourself with the role. We all know mm-hmm. this, especially if we follow you on Facebook and Insta and everywhere else, that how difficult or was it even difficult for you to play a role where there was a narrator? Um, you know, it wasn't because... Like I, I remember when uh, when I, the day I got hired, I called the executive producer back and I was like, "Listen, can you give me um, Rod's number? Because I want to talk to him." And they were a little, I think they were a little surprised by that. Um, but as they got to know me, they realized that's just that's who John is. And I I wanted to immediately, I wanted to hear his voice. I wanted to hear how he talked, and and I wanted to get you know some immediate insight into you know his personality. Um, and then he and I had uh, the opportunity we met um, in Knoxville, Tennessee. We went out to dinner, and, like, we sat there and we talked. And that first night, we sat there for, like, three hours or four hours. Dinner was over, and we just sat there kicking it. And, like, we were we were just cool from the door. And, you know, we we just have very similar similar personalities, kind of similar sense of, sense of humor, um, similar kind of outlook on life, and so yeah. I think all of that yeah. helped make it. All of it helped make it. You know, made it click. That's awesome. Sounds like it was hey. meant to be. Actually, you know, with <laughs> yeah. the description of the Zoom job and how everything just clicked with Detective Demery, it really sounds like it was a role made for you. It, it it did, you know. I I I felt and and like and and oddly enough, like so. I and I learned this after the fact when I went in. And here's an interesting tidbit about the audition. So, I get this audition, and it's in New York, and I'm in L.A. Right, and so they were saying, you know, they were seeing actors in person in New York at at Jupiter's Jupiter Entertainment's um, office, and but right. if you couldn't come to New York. You could send in a videotape. And here I am, you know, like this is last minute, like a last minute ticket to New York was going to be like seven or $800 that I really didn't have. And I remember oh, sitting there debating like, man, should I just make this tape and send it to him, which, you know, is going to cost me like 15 to $20, or do I spend this money I don't have to take this flight? And then, you know, and at the last minute I thought, you know what, I want this so bad. I'm gonna risk this, and I, I spent I spent the 700 I didn't have, and I bought the ticket, and I flew to New York. And when I walked in the room, I, everyone stopped, right? Like everyone stopped, and they were staring at me. This was like maybe five, ten seconds goes by, and I'm wondering, like, what the hell did I do wrong? Like, but but what I found out <laughs> later is they said that when I walked in, that I reminded them so much of Rod that it kind of stopped them in there, and it kind of made them stop, and you know, and oh, so yes, yeah, wow. to some degree. Maybe that was a role that just, you know, the universe put that one there for me. 
I think I remember you saying something and posting some things about like your work with law enforcement as you prepared for the role. So what yeah, was that yeah. like for you? So what I did is is I contacted LAPD, and um, they have a whole department because of the amount of actors that are here in L.A. So they uh, yes. they um, will pair you up with a with a training, normally like a training sergeant or something, and you'll do a ride-along with them. And so they ended up hooking me up with this uh, officer. His name is Scotty Mullen. He's a great dude. He's the one who, um, who Jake Gyllenhaal um, – Spent all this time with preparing for that movie End of Watch, um, so he was real familiar. He was real familiar with you know what actors do, and so like to be able to sit in that car with them, and we were like we I, I was with them I want to say like two or three weeks, and the area they cover wow. is in the Watch section of California, right? So it's you know it, it's it's pretty active in terms of calls and stuff they get, and to just be with them, but it wasn't only just how they talked and what kind of calls they were going on, but it was the camaraderie, right, between the police officers mm-hmm. and, like, like, there's no way to approximate that because anything, if I hadn't spent that time, any portrayal of a police officer would have been kind of, like, based on what I saw on television or, you know, what you see in the movie right. because you never, you've never seen what it's like. I've, I've seen police officers. I grew up in a tough neighborhood. I always saw police officers from the other side. And so to be able to spend that time with them in the car, going on radio calls, show up at a house, there's dead body. It's like there's no way to – there was no way to prepare for that without actually being able to do that. Wow, that's so cool that they have an entire department that really um, allows people in your field to experience it so they can accurately portray law enforcement on TV. Yeah, and and to me that was like I couldn't do it because because if, if you don't get that insight, everything you're doing is mimicking or kind of like pretending because you don't know. You don't really know what cops are like. You don't really know how they are. You don't know what it feels like when they turn on that light and you're racing through the streets at 75 miles an hour blowing through red lights, and I'm thinking I'm going to die. Um, and the adrenaline that's pumping as you go through it, like there's no way right. to know what that feels like unless you can actually do it. Yeah, it, it it sounds like it would almost be surface, very surface level if you didn't have that experience. Hundred percent, because you would, like I said, you would just be going off of like what you see on, you know, what you see on television, as opposed to being able to like experience that, internalize it, and then you're able to like make that part of your character, you know, but from a real place. Now I know Detective Demery was. Uh, a detective in Shreveport, Louisiana, right? Mm-hmm. So what what made the location go to Knoxville, Tennessee? What was... Well, there's was, two reasons. Yeah. One is because um, Jupiter Entertainment, which is a production company, their corporate office is in Knoxville, and they have a... Jupiter does a ton of shows for ID. Like if most of the hot shows on ID are, are usually Jupiter are usually Jupiter shows. And so because they shoot there so much, they have a great relationship with the Knoxville Police Department. So they get access to if they need – because the other thing that a lot of people might not know is that every every uniformed police officer you see on Murder Shows Me 
is actually a member of the Knoxville Police Department. So wow. You know, so those are all yeah, they're all real officers. The only the only people who are actors are like the actors that are like plain clothes detectives or whatever. But any police officer you see in a uniform on Murder Chose Me is an actual member of law enforcement. So think about the benefit of that, right? So you have right. like having free technical advisors on set because anytime we were going to shoot something, the director, you know, could turn to one of the officers and say, what would you guys do in this situation? Or like, so that, that it, it, it lends to the authenticity of whatever we're doing because you've got the real cops who do this every day for a living right there to tell you, oh, no, we wouldn't do that. Or we'd approach the house like this and, you know, again, that's stuff like being able to be around real police officers and, like, I was able to pick their brains and ask them questions was invaluable. Uh, yeah, and it sounds good. like it was ex- – go ahead, James. I'm sorry. No, I was saying it just sounds like it, it sounds like it was very, a, a very good learning experience, you know, for you to protect your craft and to play your mm-hmm. role mm-hmm. greatly. Now, James has pulled a uh, a quote from Detective Demery's summation of the cancellation of the popular show. Um, okay. Are you okay with me quoting it? In, in... Oh, yeah, yeah, please, for sure. Okay, okay. He says, I got to say, it wasn't going to last forever. There's a finite amount of cases, and I ran out of cases. I appreciate the love, and I'm still amazed that my life and career were even considered for public consumption. Two incredible things came of the project. One, my mother, an anonymous 21-year-old girl who otherwise would have been forgotten, had her story of domestic violence and murder told all over the world, told by her baby boy. Two, the stories of victims in a small corner of the world, Shreveport, Louisiana, were mourned were mourned for and acknowledged in 120 countries around the world. Thank mm-hmm. you all for supporting not only me, but all that contributed in the show's tremendous success. My thanks and prayers for continued courage and protection of those still policing. Godspeed to those lost in the line of duty. Hmm. Hmm. That sounds so much like Rod, if you know him, that, sounds so much like him like i i could have heard that quote and you wouldn't have told me who said it and i would have known that was something rob would have said now i know you guys a lot like is there anything in there that you might have said different or any kind of sentiment that you might add to it no 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 because i think um one of the things that you know doing one of the the last episode of the season one um was the story about where rod investigated his mom's murder who had you know had literally gone unsolved from you know 20 or 30 or 40 years earlier he went back in and looked at the case and was able to figure out exactly what happened and he's right you know he was able to bring his mom's story of domestic violence um to people all around the world and you know there was so many phone calls and not phone calls but uh tweets and messages and instagram messages and facebook messages i got from fans all over the world that, like, you know, they could totally relate. Someone they knew was a victim of domestic violence, and that case was never solved. And so um, they really had an opportunity, like, you know, they had an opportunity to to be able to feel camaraderie with Rod um, because 
he knows what you know. He knows what they went through, right? He has an understanding about what they went through, and the same goes for Absolutely. the uh, the victims. There was so, I, I had a chance to meet a couple of the actual people who the stories were about, um, and right. it was you know it was amazing. You know this woman's you know first episode of season one. This eighteen year old pregnant girl was murdered, and she you know I think she was six or seven months pregnant. And I actually had a chance to meet her actual mother and, you know, just seeing her and understanding the grief and the grieving that she went through during that time, you know, it made it all so much more real. Now, John, now, now John, isn't that their first segment, isn't that the the young girl, wasn't she pregnant or something? Yeah, she was. She was was six or seven months pregnant and she was murdered by her boyfriend and and left in a pond. Right, right. I remember that. That was the very first show. If I'm not mistaken. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I know, I know you've you've also made yourself very accessible to fans, especially on Facebook. There, I remember reading several posts from people who said, "Oh, my sister's episode is on tonight," or, or so and so's episode. Oh, that involves my family, and the right. out of support from those who follow the program just showered love on mm-hmm. the victims' families. And I, I just I found that very almost comforting in a way. Yeah, it's you know, amazing. You know, and, and we have a – there's a fan page on Facebook for a Murder yeah. Chose Me fan page, and there's a number of family members of victims that – you know, we we were highlighted on our show, and and they're part of the fan page, and they have been among the most supportive people. Um, about you know, because I, I really think the production company went out of their way to portray their stories of what happened in a very humanistic way, in a very in a way that like absolutely um, um, showed you know what what that family really went through. Because when someone when someone's murdered, it changes. I mean, when someone dies. In general, it changes everything. But when someone is murdered, you know, senselessly, it changes those family members forever, and and they're right. never, you know, they're never the same. No. So, I wonder how you process the cancellation of this show. <laughs> if you if you knew ahead of time it was coming, and the ratings were extremely good, and yes. you know this. This is James. This is James's line. It's like taking a line out of the comedy movie Major Pain. But John, there's no more bad guys left. You killed them all. So just as you and Detective Demery solved all of his unsolved murder cases and his caseload, you know, it, it kind of came to that that uh, climax of, of closing the showdown as well. Well, it's, it's it's two things. One, I don't think it was so much that Rod actually ran out of cases is just that the network has pretty specific criteria about what kind of cases they would show. So he had a bunch of cases, not necessarily cases that fit within the framework of what, of what they were, of what, of what they wanted to show. So, and I, and I think that's where the, that's where the dilemma came out. Cause there were, he, he definitely had other cases. It's just not cases that fit into what the network, uh, what the network was, their criteria is. As far as um, finding out, no, I found out. Um, the day I found out is the day I posted on, you know, I posted on social media and said, you know, I just found out. 
Um, so, you know, it, it's like anything else, right? Like anybody who's ever had a job and then you find out that, you know, your company went out of business or you're getting laid off, it ain't a great feeling. I mean, you know, um, you know, and you go through some emotional, you know, angst, right? Because, right. first of all, most actors I know, a lot of them are out of work. And so, you know, to be able to say, you know, you've been a working actor for three years on a show, it feels good. So, you know, it was it was, it was was disappointing, right? But I also understand right, right. that it's a, I also understand that it's a business, right? And then you also, I also recognize no matter how long the show went on, two seasons, three seasons, seven seasons, every show that has ever come on TV goes off TV, right? Like at some point yeah, the I show mean, does eventually, get canceled. Yeah, eventually, yeah. Yeah, MASH, Friends, doesn't matter. At some point there is like that final episode, and whenever that final episode comes, it probably never feels good because you end up spending, and I spent so much time working with the production crew and the director and the producers, and, you know, just it was like they had become extensions of my family. And, you know, I had started like, you know, this kind of second life because half the year I was spending in Knoxville shooting. So, you know, and then all of a sudden, that's just gone. And and I think, you know, you take some moments to reflect. And for me, I, you know, I decided that what I'm going to do, I'm going to focus on the fact that it was an amazing opportunity. And I had an unbelievable, um, an unbelievable time doing it. I met a bunch of amazing people. I came in contact with people that I would have never had a chance to. I had a, I had an opportunity to be blessed enough to have my work, um, seen around the world, right? By like there were people in countries that I didn't even know the show was in and I'm getting text messages from, you know, Cote d'Ivoire in Africa or, you know, Kenya, Saudi Arabia and they're like, yo, I'm a fan of your show. So I'm like even even though it got cancelled, far and away, it was an absolute blessing. And I'm 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 better and thankful for it and um and, you know, as my mom would tell me, you know, like literally it sounds a little corny, but it's 100% true, you know, doors close and doors open, right? And so one door closes Absolutely. and that opens up the possibility for other stuff. Is, is there still a Murder Chose Me cruise in the mix? There was. There was one that was supposed to be coming up in 2021 um, until, of course, the whole COVID-19 thing happened and, the cruise industry has kind of gone out the window, so I don't know um, how that's going. But most there was absolutely a Murder Chose Me cruise. I guess it was with, along with like Murder Chose Me and Homicide Hunter and one other, one of the other shows. And we were all gonna we were all gonna do this cruise together. Um, so fans could come on and you know hang out with me and Joe Kenda and Rod and. But I don't know that that whole thing has been kind of thrown up in the air just with you know the. the uncertainty of uh, of COVID-19. Now, speaking mm-hmm. of COVID-19, how has it changed? I know a lot of, like, the reality shows, the big reality shows and a lot of other shows have stopped production. Everybody's on furlough. How do you think it's changed the craft, if any? Well, I see, and I think this is the big unknown. I don't think anyone really knows, right? Because, um, oh. you know, you can have, you can have the camera person or the sound person with, you know, face mask on. and But, you know, how do you – actors can't do that because the whole thing is intimacy and being close and talking with someone else, you know, so you can't really do that. So I think um, – I don't – 
I know the people at, you know, SAG, um, Screen Actors Guild, are trying to figure out what protocols are are going to be safe for people to work on. Because even even something as simple as saying, okay, well, we'll test everyone uh, when they show up to set, right, and take everyone's temperature or whatever. Okay, cool. 35% of people are asymptomatic. So even by giving them uh, giving them a temperature test, you're still not going to catch everyone. And then once people leave set and go home, now they have an opportunity to possibly get infected. And the next day they come back to work, you know, they might be infected. Or sometimes there's a lag time between yeah. infection and when people are symptomatic. So I don't know yeah. how that is all going to work out until until um, a vaccine comes out or an I, I just don't know. I, I know one of the things right. that I heard at Tyler Perry Studios, um, he has this whole compound in Atlanta where I guess there's living quarters and everything. So for his shows, I heard what they're doing is they're bringing the actors in, they're testing everybody once they get there, and then everyone has to stay in the compound until the shoot is done. And you have your meals there, you sleep, right, and then after the shooting is done, then you go home, and that lessens the chance of people being able to, um, you know, go back to their hotel and go out to dinner and get infected or, or and, and then come back the next day. And so I don't know that every production can do that. They, clearly, they probably right. can't. But that's at least one of the solutions that's going on. But ultimately, I don't think we know. I don't think I, don't, I think that's the big unknown. Yep. Wow. That's, that's really intense. And, you know, I kind of I, I respect that that opportunity uh Mr. Perry has for his productions because you know he's he's giving people a chance in all this mess to still eat so and, and mm-hmm. still make some money you know mm-hmm. um so that's that's incredible because it, it's hard to do right now um and yeah, i know I mean, go ahead i'm sorry no i was just going to say yeah because la has been shut down for for yeah. months yeah and I know you were starting to work on some other projects because you were kind of dropping little hits on Facebook about some other things you were getting into. Are you able to comment or give us little clues on what might be coming up for you? Well, you know, I I, I don't even know where things are now, but, like, uh, one of my friends, um, Amanda Hen, is a producer. She owns Mother Hen Productions, and so she and I, had been talking about uh, collaborating on a couple of different projects, and one of them was a pilot, uh, a television series pilot, kind of loosely based off of uh, the relationship I have with my son. Um, And uh, I was really excited. I was really, really, really excited about the the possibility of doing that. And so that whole thing has kind of been put on hold, and um, I'm hoping that once once all the smoke clears, um, we could kind of get back to 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 working on that, um, and then there was another project that uh, a film that she's producing, um, and she had offered it was going to she's going to shoot in Atlanta, and she had offered roles to both my son Phoenix and I, and so we were excited because the movie was supposed to start shooting in the spring, and of course, obviously, COVID nineteen that went out the window, so I right, don't know. Right what the status of that is is going to be. So, I mean, there were some things that I was really looking forward to, um, especially right. being able to work on the project with my son, and um, those things just all kind of got on hold. But yeah. who knows, you know, maybe sometimes um, not getting yeah. what you think you want at the time is, a, is the best blessing of all because you don't, you don't really know, you know, 
how things are going to turn out. Right. I really hope that those get back on track as soon as COVID provides an opportunity to do that because I definitely would watch it. It, it sounds very interesting to me. Um, you guys.